This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Ash Miller. Everybody knows that Minneapolis is unique. It's people, it's culture, it's dangerous obsession with burgers stuffed with molten hot cheese. One thing often overlooked, however, is how unique its suburbs are. Reader Steve Brand wrote into Curious Minnesota to ask about the history of the metro, specifically about Minneapolis's complicated relationship with its surrounding cities. We're the 16th largest metro area in the country. You figure when your metro area ranks nationally pretty high, we're used to having the central city sort of follow suit. And then you look at Minneapolis, and we're 46th in terms of population. St. Paul is 62. So why are we so much smaller than cities we consider peers? I'm joined with my co-host Eric Roper, who did a deep dive into the Star Tribune archives to find an answer. So something I realized upon moving to Minneapolis is that a lot of things, a lot of places I need to go actually are outside of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. They're in St. Louis Park. They're in Edina. They're in Eden Prairie. So I think that kind of speaks to what the story is about. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about fragmentation today, essentially. Let's say we were in like Phoenix or some mm-hmm. somewhere like that. If you're going to go to those places, you're probably still in Phoenix, right? right? And that's what makes cities like Minneapolis a little different from cities like Phoenix it's or the way, Jacksonville or yeah, something like it's that. It's the way that the pie is split. Right. If the region is a pie, it's how it's sliced, right. basically. Yes. So this leads us to our question, which comes from a familiar source. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Former reporter Steve Brandt, yes. neighbor of mine, friend of mine. He basically is asking, well, what, why did we not sort of gobble up the suburbs? So before we get to that, we should just note that if you combined Minneapolis and St. Paul, you would have about 700,000 people. You'd have like Denver, right. Seattle, whatever. We're going to do a separate episode about this separate question. We're not forgetting St. Paul. We're like, not forgetting St. Paul. We're not St. forgetting Paul. the St. Paul of it all. Like, we will get there. Because there's a separate. very live question about why the two cities didn't merge. Right. And it's a whole separate story. Yes. So today we're just talking about Minneapolis and the Minneapolis suburbs. And what makes Minneapolis so unique when it comes to large cities that it considers, like, its peers, like mm-hmm. Seattle and Denver and Phoenix, like you said. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're talking about. Right. Our colleague Mary Jo Webster did the state analysis and determined that if you look at the top 50 metro areas in the country and look at the central city share of the urban population, I say urban because we had to Anyway, it's a complicated thing. But we looked at just the urban population of these metros. They do have some rural populations, too. Mm -hmm. The central city share, Minneapolis is 15% of our metro area. That is the eighth smallest share of the top 50 metros in the country. Right. So on the other side of that are cities like Jacksonville, San Antonio, where those city propers, the boundaries of those cities, really comprise a, a great deal of their metro areas. And those are what are called by David Rusk, the former mayor of Albuquerque, elastic cities. Right. That's a large part of the story is the the term elastic city and what we are, which is an inelastic city. Right. So kind of go more into inelastic, like what makes. 
So David Rusk, who he wrote a book about this, and he's sort of the foremost expert on. Have you talked to people about this? They just keep directing you back to David Rusk. Right. So okay. I was like, okay, I have to talk to this person, and he makes the case that elastic cities are there's a lot of benefits to elastic cities. In other words, cities that grew to really comprise their metro areas, and in elastic cities, according to David Rusk, generally developed earlier than the elastic ones, and they reached about a hundred thousand people before 1890. And that mm -hmm. was the case in Minneapolis. It was also the case in like Washington, D.C., St. Louis, cities that basically were big by the time it was the you know late 19th century. Right. So we have elastic cities, we have inelastic cities, and then another term that I think is important to know is township. Right. So David Rusk told me this fact that ended up being sort of the kernel of the answer to this story, and I was not okay. really expecting it. But way, way, way back in the day, so we're going to start our chronology now, okay. like back before Minnesota is a state, back when it's just a territory and the U.S. government is platting the land, they platted this part of the country into townships. Mm -hmm. And these townships would eventually sort of be the seed of the villages that would later develop in these places. And that becomes very important to our story. Whereas if you're in places like we've mentioned, some of these places in the south or what have you, those are largely surrounded by more unincorporated areas, and so mm -hmm. annexation is a lot simpler than when you are surrounded by townships, some of which became sort of, you know, real cities. So we're going to talk about all that. But yeah. there's a distinction of how these places were basically formulated from the beginning. And that, that gets to the heart of the problem is there's all this open land, mm -hmm. basically, that would be really, really, really easy to annex. Right. But it doesn't get annexed. Right. So... There is some annexation that occurs early on in the city's history. So, like, if we go way back to, like, the 1860s, Minneapolis is just mostly downtown. Like, mm -hmm. that's the boundary of Minneapolis. But then, you know, population starts soaring in the 1880s. You know, we're, really, we're becoming a flour milling capital. There's lots of stuff going on. And so we add about 40 square miles of land and uh, in, in the 1880s. And we quadruple the size of the city to almost what it is today. And at that point, that was like open land, right? Mm -hmm. And so, because like my house in South Minneapolis was built in 1907 and like, it was right around that time that things were getting down to sort of like the South Minneapolis area. So it was still sort of, it felt like there was a lot of opportunity, yeah. but then we quickly filled it up and that's what we're going to get to next. Yes. So this is where townships become important. Yeah. And this kind of revealed itself in the clips. You know, I was sort of surprised in, in writing this up and talking to experts, I found that there was sort of new history, to me at least, from compared to what I was finding elsewhere that was actually in our clips. And there's a key clip here from the Minneapolis Tribune in 1912. And basically what's happening is there are residents in these townships and they're getting worried that Minneapolis is about to annex them because townships, these are unincorporated mm -hmm. townships, and so it's easier for the city to annex those places. Right. The quote in the paper is about villages. Mm -hmm. These are townships that are becoming incorporated villages. The quote in the paper in the Minneapolis Tribune is, Villages have been incorporated in Hennepin County thick and fast because the county residents feared that they might be annexed by Minneapolis and be compelled to pay increased taxation. A lot of these places are largely farmland. Mm -hmm. And so this, this attorney for Hennepin County at the time notes that these villages, quote unquote, of Richfield, Golden Valley, Edina, and Brooklyn Center, it's hard to really make out what the village is here. It's mm -hmm. mostly just farmland. 
land. Whereas Robbinsdale and Columbia Heights, these are like real villages where you could really see that there's a recognizable, a like right. identifying features of a city of a town. Mm-hmm. So no one wants to be a part of Minneapolis? No. Well, one. <laughs> so Robbinsdale and, and Columbia Heights actually do. Okay. So what's the benefits of being part of Minneapolis. So basically, you know, Robinsdale and Columbia Heights are kind of these, you know, they're becoming more urban. Their their residents are expecting certain services. And it was much more like you would end up with better schools, utilities, you know, infrastructure, public safety, if you were a part of Minneapolis. It was just a lot, much more cost efficient. Whereas some of these places that are kind of more farmland, they're not really interested necessarily in sort of having all the efficiencies of like, uh, of all the things we just discussed. So Robbinsdale and Columbia Heights end up taking this separate route into actually wanting to be annexed. There's an inherent spoiler in this story because, um, sp- yeah, spoiler alert, Robbinsdale is a city still and it is not part of Minneapolis. Right. So they were unsuccessful. Yes. What happens is in 1923, the rule was that basically the people getting annexed would have to be okay with it mm-hmm. and there'd have to be a vote. And at the last minute, the Robbinsdale rep he changes it to a five-eighths majority mm-hmm. is how much you need to reach. Instead of a just like a simple majority. Instead of a simple majority. Okay. And so at, at that point, you know, Robbinsdale, the mayor says, we in Robbinsdale want to become part of Minneapolis. And Theodore Wirth, who's the superintendent of parks in Minneapolis, he starts sort of planning about, okay, maybe we need to acquire Crystal Lake. I mean, it looks like Robbinsdale is about to become part of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And they hold at least seven votes. Okay. Okay. And all of them fail. Okay. Okay. And like, it's, it's sort of amazing. I mean, one of the votes when in 1931, 913 people were in favor, 760 were opposed. That wasn't enough because they didn't meet the 5-8. So like by 19, 10 years after the law passed by 1933, the Robbinsdale folks are the supporters are the annexation supporters are back at the legislature saying, you got to change this law, yeah. change it to a simple majority. Mm-hmm. So Robbinsdale, as we so noted, still exists. Yes. So it didn't happen. Yes. So Robbinsdale is not annexed, mm-hmm. but other places were successfully annexed. Right. So Richfield, okay. which we also know to still be here today. Yes. <laughs> so this is so but there used to be more Richfield. Okay. Let's put it that way. So in nineteen twenty six, Richfield actually was able to pass that five eighths bar uh, and have enough people support, but just a portion of the city getting annexed to Minneapolis. So what we know today as like between fifty fourth street and sixty second street in Minneapolis at the south end of the city, mm-hmm. that was all part of Richfield until this 1926 vote, and then right after that, the sort of annexation happened. Mm -hmm. And then the last of these efforts, and then we're going to move ahead a couple of years. Yeah. Columbia Heights, they want in. Yes. They want in on this. And so after the Richfield vote, Columbia Heights comes forward in 1928, Mm -hmm. and they say, like, you know, we want to be annexed, and the mayor says, it's up to us to show Minneapolis that we are desirable of acceptance. And just as a a footnote here... The mayor, William Foster, he's 22 years old. I, I would never listen to a 22-year-old tell me what to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, the, the, the Minneapolis Journal sort of hinted at that, and they called him boy mayor oh in the in paper. Even though 22 years old, I mean, nowadays, that's, he's an adult, he's clearly, an adult, yeah. but very young mayor. He was ready to be annexed. Yeah. And uh, the problem there was Columbia Heights was in Anoka County, it still is, and mm-hmm. Anoka County wouldn't give up. Columbia Heights to mm-hmm. Hennepin County, and the city didn't want, Minneapolis didn't want to be in two counties, if you can imagine, like yeah. having to split the county. And also, Columbia Heights had all this debt, 
and Minneapolis wasn't really wild about taking on all this debt. Yeah. So between the two things, it just like kind of went south. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the 1920s, 1930s, but let's flash forward to the 50s. Right. You've got the post-war suburban growth, right? Mm-hmm. Which we, that's kind of what we think about with suburbs today usually is like that post-war time when the right. suburbs were really taking off. And there were sort of proposals, but the thing about it was that if you think about municipal services, mm-hmm. just as we talked about earlier with places like Robbinsdale, it's hard to do this as like a single city when you're a small municipality. So there's more right. chatter in the 50s about Brooklyn Center. Maybe we should fold that into Minneapolis or maybe the rest of Richfield should be in Minneapolis. And the Minneapolis Star at the time explains sort of why this never got more momentum, which mm-hmm. is that the Richfield annexation was sort of a bad deal. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the city annexed this part of Richfield back in the 20s. And then, the, first of all, all the residents wanted a lot of city services. So it cost a lot of money to like do all these improvements. And then the depression hit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you can just imagine, so you have like these worthless properties that you just spent a lot of money on. And it was like a bad thing on the city's books for many years. So that kind of like, it, it, it basically soured annexation talks for many years because Minneapolis had bad finances as a result. And now by the 50s, the cities are coming back around, sort of talking. There's more of a chatter, apparently. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like there's no momentum anymore. Right. So in terms of, like, planning, Mm -hmm. it sounds bad. Yeah, you basically had all these municipalities popping up. And so today... We think about it kind of like as this, um, it is what it is, right? Like we're not going back. But Mm -hmm. in 59, this was like a fresh reality that was setting in, Mm -hmm. which is that you had a metro area that was very, very fragmented into these small municipalities. And these municipalities were having a tough time in some cases, like keeping up with the demand. So there's like this fire departments and like waste management. Like yeah, well, waste management stuff. in particular, there's a lot of septic systems that are put in. And so these are near drinking wells. And oh. this leads to very like catastrophic situations. Mm, so excellent. you have like <laughs> it's not a good scene out right. there. So things are kind of getting urgent. And by 59, there's this state commission that's looking into this issue to sort of provide some clarity about the, the road ahead here. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote here. I'm going to read the whole quote because I think that this quote sort of sums up sort of how people were feeling at the or how this commission at least felt at the time, mm-hmm. which is that is quote uh, the 104 municipalities which have arisen in the Twin Cities metropolitan area, making up a part of the largest number of governmental subdivisions in any American metropolis, have created problems in furnishing adequate economical municipal services to those living within the myriad of separate municipal governments all within the metro area. So clearly there's some... Just digest that quote a little bit. Yeah, that's okay. But I mean, you know, clearly it was like there was a lot of concern about how this was being organized. Yeah, it was bad. Everyone knew it was bad. It's not us looking back on history and being like, oh, we could see now that was pretty bad. Like people knew in the moment, like we have to do something. Right. And what did they do? So that quote and that commission Mm -hmm. is sort of the precursor to what we now know of as the Met Council, the Metropolitan Council. So this is 59. So by 67, Mm -hmm. the Metropolitan Council would be created. And it kind of changed forms over the years. But the Met Council took over regional wastewater, for example. So all these like 
you know, myriad of sort of different wastewater systems all got consolidated under the Met Council. They took over the transit system, too. Like, if you can think about, you know, I mean, how are you going to do transit if you had lots of little cities controlling their old transit right. systems? They also took over regional planning from, like, a land use perspective, you know, trying to create more of a comprehensive plan for the whole region and, like, sort of organizing that, sort of having city plans, but then also regional plans and sort of how did the highways get coordinated. So that whole what happened leading up to the 50s there, it sort of put people in a pretty desperate spot. And right. by then they were really looking for a regional solution. And that's sort of what the Met Council ended up being. So that's the that's the bow. That's the happy ending. On this yeah. I mean, we still story. argue a lot about the Met Council today. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of debate about the Met Council. But if you were to sort of have it not run the wastewater system, not run the transit system, not run land use planning, I mean, it would be a very different situation going on yeah. here in the in the metro area. Well, thank you for giving me yet another history lesson. We've got wastewater. We've got farmland. This story has everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I think like I learned a lot writing this because I feel like it's a question that once you've lived in Minneapolis for a bit, as you noted, you start to realize that the city itself is uh, it feels bigger than it actually is yes. sometimes. And a lot of this history was sort of buried in our clips, which is one of my favorite things is to go through the clips. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't say this a lot, but I recommend listeners actually read the story because there's so many good graphs and maps that are included from mm-hmm. Mary Jo. And I think they're they're super fun to look at. I just love like they're interactive. And so I recommend actually looking up the story if you haven't, because it's fun to play with. And I, one of my favorite images on the story is uh, there's like a the industrial, the Minneapolis Industrial Parade in 1911. And the Robbinsdale folks, they're out there, man, because <laughs> Robbinsdale is like a real like village at that point. Yeah. And they're like they're they're uh, pulling this model house and it says Robbinsdale, best suburb for homes. And then there's like horses that say like schools, second to none. Like they were really purest water and lots of fresh air. Like uh, I just love this picture of like the early Robbinsdale boosters back in 1911. That's so great. Now I'm sad though because now they, we know. Well, they they kept their identity at the end of the day. That's true. That's so true. Uh, Robbinsdale has that long, rich history. So. All right. So it is a happy story. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing this happy story. Yeah. Thanks, Ash. <laughs> and that's going to do it for us today. I want to give a quick shout out to Matt Gilmer, who edits episodes for us here on Curious Minnesota. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious. <laughs>